Well, good morning, everyone. Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us so that we might not just know you, but that we might be known by you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgive me for an old favorite, but an atheist was walking through the woods and he proclaimed in a loud voice, you know what, magnificent tree, what trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals. Uh, and as he was walking along the river, he, he heard uh, some rustling in the bushes and he turned and he saw an enormous hungry nine foot grizzly bear rushing towards him. He, he started to run away he, as fast as he could up the path. He looked over his shoulder, the bear was getting closer. He looked over his shoulder again, it was closer again. He tripped and fell and he rolled, struggling to get up and saw that the bear was almost upon him. A, a bear's mighty paw raised to strike and the atheist cried out, oh my God! time stopped. The sound of the, the river and the trees, it, it, it vanished. A light shined down upon him and a, and a voice from heaven said, you deny my existence all these years? You even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Am I now to count you as a believer? And the atheist somewhat boldly looked up into the light and said, yes, I, I, I suppose it would be a bit hypocritical of me to ask you to treat me now as one of your people, but could you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> and the voice from heaven said, very well. The, the light vanished, the uh, time began again, the sound of the trees and the rivers rushed back, but the bear stopped and brought his mighty paws together and said, Lord, for what I am about to receive, make me truly thankful. Now, why am I telling you that joke? Well, it's one of my favorites. That's one of the reasons. But the other one is because, of course, we as Christian people, we are known as those who give thanks, aren't we? Uh, I mean, I'm still old enough to remember a time when you would kind of watch a sports game and after the sports game, they'd do a kind of post-match interview and, the, and some of the winners would often, you know, thank God that they'd kind of won that, that match. Uh, we are those who are known to give thanks. And thanking God is something that we've spent some time, some dedicated time doing, which is, which is right. But now I want to tell us why we've done that. Uh, now I want to tell us why thankfulness is actually an essential part of our faith in Jesus Christ. And by doing that, uh, actually to do that, we're going to have a look at the day that Jesus met uh, 10 lepers that Sally just read for us. And so there's a bit of an outline uh, in your handout as you came in. I really want to talk to you today about uh, three things, the position of all, uh, the prayer of all, and then the praise of the one. And it will help you to keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 17. But firstly then, uh, the position of all, because these, these 10 men who come to the Lord Jesus in Luke 17, they're all in the same very terrible position. Uh, the Bible says that they have the dreaded skin disease, and the dreaded skin disease of that time was the disease leprosy. It was perhaps the most feared disease of the world at that time. It was deadly, it was incurable, it was contagious, and it was hopeless. Uh, to the Jewish people at the time, to, to cure leprosy was considered an equivalent miracle to raising someone from the dead. That's how serious they took it. Uh, the disease itself is bad enough. Uh, in, in, you know, in a room full of doctors, I'm always fearful of talking about these sorts of things, but I'm told that leprosy, it's a, it's a bacterial infection, actually, that in, infects the, the skin and the nerves and the limbs and the eyes, and it actually causes you to become deformed. 
and eventually you lose all feelings in the nerve endings in your, in your body and that's the most critical and dangerous time of the disease because that's when an afflicted person, you can hurt yourself, you could cut yourself or burn yourself or do all sorts of things and you just wouldn't feel it. Uh, you won't even feel when you do serious damage to yourself. And as I said, leprosy is contagious. It was, of course, it can now be easily treated and therefore transmission can be prevented. But in the first century, it was feared as highly contagious and as a devastating disease. And so as soon as you got that dreadful diagnosis of leprosy, you were immediately cut off. You were cut off from your friends, you were cut off from your, your family, from your, your husband or your wife or, or, or your children. You could not eat with them, you could not touch them, you could not even be in the same place as them. And in fact, anyone even suspected of having the disease would be banished from society altogether and forced to live in leper colonies in remote places, like uh, the wilderness between Samaria and Galilee, where Jesus met these 10 men. And wherever a leper went, they had to kind of announce their presence loudly so that everyone could hear. They had to ring a bell or a rattle, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, why? And that's why, of course, these 10 men, they stand at a distance from Jesus in verse 12. And as if that wasn't enough, under the Jewish law, leprosy also made you spiritually unacceptable. You weren't just socially unacceptable, you were spiritually unacceptable. You became religiously and ceremonially unclean. You were banned by the word of God, Leviticus chapter 13, from temple or synagogue. You were banned from any gathering of, of clean people. And so you were banned from offering sacrifices and finding the forgiveness of your sins. You were banned from uh, coming together to pray in the temple. And so all 10 of these men, they are in a truly horrible situation. In fact, I was trying to think of kind of what a modern equivalent could be. And uh, one thing someone suggested to me is it's almost like those very early days of COVID. You know, I hate to take you back to that time, but it's almost like that, that, you know, in those early days of COVID where if you had the disease, you were whisked off to hospital and locked away in a room and you couldn't see anyone, couldn't see your family or, or your friends. They couldn't come and support you and no one really knew what was going to happen to you. It's, it's almost a bit like that. Uh, you know, the leper of Jesus' day, when they got that diagnosis, their whole world in an instant fell apart. And these 10 men, as they come to Jesus, they have no hope. They have no hope physically, they have no hope socially, and they have no hope spiritually. They deserve our, our pity. Who knows how long it had been since these men had, you know, touched their wives or kissed their children. Each one of them is in exactly the same position, this horrible state of almost living death. But where others would not go, Jesus went. Uh, their friends, their family, their religion could not help him, but Jesus could. And these 10 men knew that, and so uh, they make to Jesus the same petition. Uh, there in, in verse 13, they call out to Jesus with a loud voice and they say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, probably the lepers have heard of Jesus' power to heal. After all, it's been very well established by now in uh, Luke's story of Jesus' ministry, uh, even Jesus' power to heal leprosy. But they also realize that Jesus' power comes from who he is, and so they call him master. They recognize his authority. 
Uh, and he, they're, in fact, the only non-disciples of Jesus in the entire Gospel of Luke who do this. Uh, they, they plead with Jesus to show them compassion. And then Jesus does a very odd thing. He doesn't just heal them immediately, like he has on so many occasions and like he could even now. Instead, have a look at verse 14. This is what he does. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, uh, that Jesus tells them to go and see the priest is not the unusual thing. That was what uh, the law of God said that you ought to do. Uh, again, that's uh, Leviticus chapter 14. Uh, the priests, one of their jobs was to authenticate any kind of cleansing from, from leprosy and give that person kind of permission to re-enter society. The strange bit is that last part of verse 14 to me. And as they went, they were cleansed. Uh, this means that when they left, when they walked away from Jesus to go and see the priest, they all still had leprosy. Uh, they still didn't have anything to show the priest, but they were going anyway. You know, that, that first step they took, they, they're still leper. Second step, uh, nothing has happened yet. But somewhere between the first step and the last step, something wonderful, something unimaginable, something that they never dreamed possible happens. They're healed. And they're healed instantly, and they're healed miraculously, and they're healed all ten at once. And suddenly the disease, it, it, it vanishes with its twisted limp and its crooked fingers and its atrophied muscles. In fact, in less time than it takes to tell the story, the disease and all of its ugly tentacles are pulled from their bodies, leaving not a single trace of it behind. And of course, this is more than just curing it. It's more than just curing the bacterial infection that, that causes the disease. Every scar, every mark, every piece of damage that this disease has done to them is suddenly washed away. But when Jesus said go, they were still afflicted. It was all still part of them. The miracle comes later. Now, why does Jesus do us like this? Why did Jesus send them away before he actually performs the miracle? Well, maybe it was a test to see whether or not these 10 lepers trusted Jesus, whether or not they had faith in him, whether or not they believed that Jesus could heal them. And, you know, obedience is always a sign of trust, isn't it? Obedience to someone in authority is always a sign that we trust that authority. You know, you obey the policeman when they're directing traffic because you trust that he's there to keep order. Uh, you obey the doctor you, 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 because you trust them when they, they tell you that this is the medication or this is the, the treatment that you require. And so when Jesus says, you know, go to the priest, what he's really saying to them is, I want you to trust me that I'm going to heal you. And so I want you to act as if you already are. I want you to act as if you've already been healed because you know that I can and I will do it. And indeed, uh, when the one who does come back to Jesus uh, speaks with him and, and Jesus says to him, he says, actually, you know, it, it is your faith that has healed you. It's because you, you trusted me. It's because you went that you have been healed. And if Jesus is testing their faith in him, actually, all 10 of them pass with flying colours. Because off the suffering band of sufferers march to see the priest, trusting that Jesus would cure them. And it was as they obeyed the commands of Jesus that they were indeed healed. And so all ten are healed. It's a marvellous miracle. 
But it's not the end of the story. In fact, it's not even the heart of the story. Because even though the ten are healed by Jesus, only one of them returns to give Jesus thanks. Have a look at verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. This one man rightly praises God and thanks Jesus for the miracle that has occurred in his life. Falling down at Jesus' feet, that's how how thankful he is. And, And his is the right response. Jesus makes that clear. And it's made all the more remarkable because this man is the wrong sort of a person. He, he's not even a Jew. He's a, he's a Samaritan. He's a half-caste Jew, meaning that he's no Jew at all. But Jesus doesn't really focus on him for the moment. In fact, Jesus asks a very penetrating question in verse 17. He says, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one has returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And here I think is the the key to the whole passage. All ten were in the same position. All ten made the same petition to Jesus. All ten obeyed. All ten were healed. And so why did only one return to thank Jesus? Now we're not told the answer, of course, but it's fun to speculate, isn't it? You know, maybe uh, some of them, they, they rushed home because they wanted to see their family. Surely this moment was the, the happy ending to more than one love story. Or maybe some of them, you know, they wanted to go back and, and restart their careers, see if they could get their old job back, you know, wanted to make up for missed time. Uh, perhaps one of them even had his eye on a kind of nice apartment in downtown Jerusalem, wanted to go and make a down payment before it got too late, before someone else snapped it up. But whatever the reasons were that the nine did not return to thank Jesus, each one of them had in their life something that was more important to them than thanking Jesus. Which just doesn't make any sense, does it? Because the only reason now why they have that thing that is so precious to them is because Jesus, by curing them, has given it back to them. And so what in their life could be now more important to them than Jesus? The very one who makes whatever this other thing is in their life possible. Surely Jesus is more important than that thing. And so this passage, it raises for me, you know, it raises the very disturbing possibility that it might be possible to acknowledge Jesus, even to recognize who he is, even to call him master, even to experience his saving power through answered prayer, even to to receive what we most need in our life and yet still be ungrateful and to never look back at the one who has given us what we need and to give him thanks and to somehow have something more important in our life than the very one who's given us everything. What a terrifying possibility. And yet I think this passage makes it clear that that is a real spiritual danger. Is it possible that we might be like the nine? And that having received from God the the life and the health that we enjoy, 
the freedom and opportunities that we experience that mean that we can marry and have families and children and, and grandchildren, that we can pursue education and career, that we can enjoy comfortable homes and nice holidays, that we can even enjoy the protection that we've received here, that we, we have all those things and yet become so busy in our pursuit of those things that we fail to thank the one who has given them to us. Will those things become more important to us than God who gave them to us? And above all of that, of course, there is the salvation that we have received through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has ripped from our bodies the tentacles of a far greater disease than leprosy. He has ripped from our bodies the tentacles of sin and death. For leprosy kills the body, but sin kills both body and soul. And yet Jesus has rescued us from that as well. And so we must be on our guard. We must be on our guard against all sin. But today it's the sin of ingratitude. God does so much for us. Our indebtedness to him is beyond measure. And yet are we infrequent are we we rare in our offers of thanks to him for what he has done do we remember even to say thanks before a meal anymore much less offer thanks from to god for all that he has done in our lives are we in danger of being like the little boy upon whom being given an orange by a man and, the, and then the boy's mother says, you know, what do you say to the nice man? We, we stop and we think for a moment and then we hand the orange back and say, peel it. <laughs> you know, and ingratitude is the leprosy of the soul. It eats away at our insides. It cripples our joy. It, it withers our compassion. It paralyzes our praise and it, numb, it renders us numb to the blessings of God. And ingratitude, it even numbs us to, to, to other sins as well. Lindsay was telling me this week about a, a great image that he heard in a youth talk many years ago, uh, that Thanksgiving is like a goalkeeper that, that blocks other sin from coming into your life because it's hard to be envious when you're thankful to God for what he's given you. It's hard to be angry with someone when you're thankful to God for who that person is. It's hard to be proud when you're thankful to God for the abilities and the opportunities that he's given you. I thought that was a wonderful image, Thanksgiving as a, as a goalkeeper. Because it's even deeper than that, isn't it? What is God's chief complaint against humanity? Well, you might be surprised to know that it's ingratitude. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Here's the important bit. Verse 21. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Why is God angry with humanity? Because we refuse to give him thanks. 
because we refuse to acknowledge everything that he has done for us and, and praise him for it. The very heart of God's complaint against humanity, according to Romans chapter 1, is, is our, our, our failure to acknowledge him and give him thanks for everything. And you know, giving thanks to someone, it, it's not an unreasonable thing, is it? You know, we, we sort of expect it all the time. It's, it's not unreasonable to want to be thanked, to want to be acknowledged for the things that we do for others. You know, you've heard me use this example before. You know, when I'm, I'm driving in my car, I'm very happy to let people come in in front of me, very happy to make way for other people. But you know what? I want the little courtesy wave. You know, I want that little kind of wave that is that acknowledgement that they recognize what I have done for them. And when people do it for me, I, I give them the little courtesy wave. It, it's not an unreasonable thing. It's just a very small way of acknowledging what's going on. Uh, you know, and in fact, I'm, I'm still waiting for the day when I'm going to see those signs that usually say, you know, police are now targeting uh, seatbelts or people using mobile phones. I'm still waiting for the day when I see one that says police are now targeting people who don't give the courtesy wave. You know, uh, cops just pulling people over to the side of the road and just kind of lightly tasing them for not giving the courtesy <laughs> wave. Yeah. Still waiting for that day. But you know, eh, it's human, isn't it? It's normal. You know, you write a book, you put in it the thanks and the acknowledgements. You make a movie, you, you get put in the credits. You know, giving thanks for what people do for us, it's just, it's part of life. We understand this. And likewise, God wants us to acknowledge what he has done and give him thanks. It's not unreasonable. And Romans 1, of course, is just talking about our ingratitude towards God as our creator. But much worse is when we fail to thank God for what he has done in saving us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But even come back to, to Luke 17 for a moment, because you'll notice that in verse 15, when the man does come back and thank Jesus for what he has done and gives glory to God for it, you'll notice he does it loudly. He does it publicly. He does it so that everyone around can hear, you know, falling face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him and, and worshipping him. In, in other words, with the same loudness, with the same uh, cry that he begged for mercy, now he gives thanks and praise to Jesus. But do we? Many times we cry out loud for help, don't we? Uh, many times we, we, we tell everyone we know how great our need is. But do we give thanks to God with, with equal volume? Do we spread the news far and wide when God answers our prayers and, and praise him for his, his goodness to us? You know, even if we do thank God, I wonder if we're, we're tempted to keep it quiet, we keep it silent between us and God when we should do it publicly just as this man did with Jesus. Anyway, we need, to, we need to finish up. Ten men were healed that day, but only one came back to give thanks. Are you one of the nine? Or are you like that other one? And we can't be like the nine, can we? And so today, we have been like the one. Today, we have spent time, we've dedicated time to giving thanks to God for what he has done and to praise Jesus for the work of salvation that he's done in our life. And so let me encourage you, let's make every day like today. Let's every day be those who thank the Lord Jesus for what he has done in our life as he deserves. 
and let us be thankful to God for the opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have done so much for us. You have given us life now and life forevermore. Everything we have is a gift from you. And for that, we thank you. May we be those who give thanks with a grateful heart for what you have given us. And may we do so every day. And may that thankfulness guard our hearts and our minds from sin and our lips from evil. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.